So let me ask you as we start this morning a bit of what maybe is a personal question. Um, Do you have a big it? Do you have a big something in your life right now? Is there an it or a something that's been keeping you awake at night or it weasels its way into every thought that it can or it comes up in your dreams at any chance it gets? Do you have a big it? And your it or your something, it could be anything really. It could be a relationship issue maybe, or a finance issue, a family issue, an issue with a child. It could be a work-related something, or maybe a personal faith conundrum. Maybe it's business-related, or forgiveness-related, or maybe it's none of these examples and something else entirely. Possibly it's something that's just raised its head recently, or maybe this it or this something has been around so long that it's kind of no longer special, just really a part of your life. So don't be embarrassed or ashamed about your big it or your something, because everyone else has likely got one of their own. Do you have a big it? I read a book recently, two books, in fact. I do most of my reading over the summertime, but one of them was a novel and purely for entertainment, so I won't bother telling you about that one today. But the other one was called God is Able, and it's by Priscilla Shira, who maybe some of you know from the Sisters Women's Conference, or you might have seen her in a few Christian movies. But anyway, I've read this book by Priscilla, and it's called God is Able, and the whole book is written based on two verses from Ephesians. They are Ephesians 3, verse 20 to 21, and this is what they say. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's from the New King James Version. Let me just read the same again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I was quite taken by these verses and by the way that this book broke them down pretty much word for word, really, and drew out the significance of what Paul was writing here. These two verses are what is known as a doxology, and a doxology is a declaration of praise to God. But this doxology, really, it could extend well beyond just these two verses, because the whole first half of the book of Ephesians is written kind of as one massive doxology. It is filled with declarations of praise, with words that describe the wonder, the magnificence of God. 
Paul uses whatever language he can find, it seems, to explain to us, the ones reading this letter, how high, how deep, how wide, and how long God's incredible love for us is. And he prays that somehow we may be able to grasp the riches of God's mercy and know the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And then these two little verses, they make up one sentence. They come at the end, called the doxology in itself, but really just the cherry on top with this declaration. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord God, you are the one who is able. As I share this morning, would you speak? Would people know you, know that you are able, and know that you are here for them? Amen. So remember that it or that something that I asked you about at the start. Have you still got it there in your mind? Well, I don't know how you solve your its, but I often find myself in a business meeting with God, and it goes a little like this. So me speaking. Hello, God. Welcome. Thanks for coming down here today. Would you like to take a seat? Great. Could I get you anything? You know, water, tea or coffee? No? Okay then, that's all right. I guess we'll just crack straight on then. And then, still me speaking. So first of all, I'd like to say um, thanks for a few things. So thanks for the nice holiday that we've just had with family and friends. It was really lovely, thank you. Um, thanks for the lovely weather we've been having as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, though, you know, I'm getting a little bit sick of watering the garden each day, so We'll circle that background to that when a matter's arising. Um, and thank you also for the way that you've been continuously caring for those around us who are unwell. Your work doesn't go unnoticed, and I'm very appreciative. So once again, thank you, God. And then it's still me speaking at this point. Now, moving on to the next item on our agenda, general business. And I'd like to bring to your attention an issue that I've been facing recently. Oh, you knew about that one. Oh, you're good, aren't you? Um, anyway, I won't bore you with the details then, but you know what? I've had enough now. I think it's time that we do something about it. Yes, I said we. Why is that so funny? And then still me speaking at this point. Anyway, so I've come up with a bit of a plan of how we can tackle this one. You're still laughing. I mean, come on, focus up. We've got to do this together. So step one, I thought we'd just take it in little steps, you know? I wouldn't want to overburden you, God. I wouldn't want to give you too much on your plate. So um, step one is this. Does that scenario sound any sort of familiar to you? Or is it just me who likes to host these business meetings with God? 
I mean, if it's just me, hopefully you can still gain some insight from my Lucy and God business meetings. Because as I tell or recall what is my classic problem-solving solution, in light of these two verses that we've repeatedly read, I really do have to cringe. Because my business meeting style just sounds so bland and so impactless when put alongside this incredible declaration of God's ability. Here I am, sitting down at the table across from God as though he's some sort of colleague or acquaintance. And I speak to him as though he's not necessarily any better at his job than I am at mine. And I tell him that we are going to work together and we're going to find a solution together. And he genuinely must chuckle to himself when I say this because, I mean, as I explained, I then just carry straight on and tell him my plan anyway and what I just tell him what we're going to do about it. And I'm saying this all to God who's sitting across from me with tattooed across his forehead, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. I mean, he's God. He probably has a big forehead for that to fit on. Um, And my basic human mind reads that and thinks, okay, yes, I mean, cool. But still, I think the best way to tackle this situation is with my excellent 15-point plan. And with that, I've held up my hand to God, to his face, and said, God, I mean, I hear that you can deliver this, but wouldn't it be so much easier if you just delivered this for me? As you can see, or I hope you can see, the system is deeply problematic. But it's how, until I was kind of enlightened by this book, how I've dealt with my big its or my big somethings. And the thing about these business meetings with God is is that they're my meetings. I'm the one who calls them. They're all about me. They're about me laying out my own solutions to my problems, coming to my own conclusions and holding control of the situation. These business meetings, also known as prayers sometimes, they do nothing to build faith, nothing to inspire faith, nor do they require any faith because they're all about me, doing what I can do by myself. And to say it again, I hold these meetings sitting across from God, the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. And I'll be the first to say, my solutions don't often provide me with many successes. So what can we do? What is there that can be done about our it's? about our somethings. Luckily, Paul is there to offer us some handy hints in these two verses. And so today we're going to look at verse 20, and then next week we'll come back to it and have a further look at verse 21. So Paul brings his first pearl of wisdom with the very first word he writes, now. Very simple, now. To set the scene of where these verses originated, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians when he was in prison, in prison for serving the Lord nonetheless. 
sitting on the cold, hard floor with soldiers guarding his door to prevent his escape. Paul penned down chapters of praise, a doxology to God, with these two verses as the cherry on top. Paul was stuck. He had no freedom, no agency. He was trapped as a prisoner. Now that is a big it. Yet from within his big it, from within his stuckness, his prison cell, he proclaimed the boundless, unlimited, incredible ability of God. With one little word, one very short turn of phrase, Paul enables himself to step out metaphorically of his stuckness and step into God's boundless freedom. And he does it right now. Imagine if that was me. If I were the one there stuck in the prison cell, I'd be coming into my business meeting with God and saying, now, first on the agenda, get me a nail file and I'll slowly start making my way towards escape. But Paul doesn't take the simplistic, heavily practical human route Instead, Paul chooses the faith route. He's just penned chapters of praise to God, words that declare the greatness of God, that declare what God's already done for him and for us. And now, Paul has a clearer view. Paul's praise offers him a fresh perspective. He doesn't just see the four walls that entrap him. Instead, he sees now a God who's able beyond even his imagination. Paul's first pearl of wisdom for dealing with your it is that the time is now. The time to begin is now, not tomorrow, not next week or next month, not even when you've got that 15-point plan set in place, or not when you've already come to the perfect solution. The time to begin is right now. Because amidst your big it, amidst your big something that you have going on, God is still worthy of our praise, and God is able Right now, at any time, God is able and God is ready to take whatever it may be. So don't dilly-dally. Now is the time to know that God is able. Paul's second pearl of wisdom is the suggestion of a new focus to him. It probably comes with my compulsive need to make a plan Um, work through from problem to solution, that I probably lose a lot of my time focusing solely on the problem. As I try to work things out and make things right, I spend a lot of my time looking at the problem, really getting to know it, you know, getting stuck in, getting to know it on a deeper level. And so while I'm trying to work out what the remedy is, what the antidote is to my problem, all of my focus and my energy goes to what it is. And that's that's certainly not the best place to be or to hold your gaze on. Because when you're focused on your problem, your focus is down. 
Your focus is inward and your focus is all consumed. Our problems, they love our attention. So the enemy loves when we've got problems. So Paul's solution is to change our focus by taking action and turning to him. Lift your gaze. Lift your focus. Turn it 180 degrees and set it on God. The beginning of Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We need to lift up our eyes and recognize that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our help doesn't just come from well-thought-out plans, from sharing with wise friends, listening to impressive pastors doing sermons or impressive self-discipline. Our help comes from the Lord. All of these things that we employ as our human tactics, like making plans, sharing with friends, listening to sermons, and being disciplined in our efforts, these are all good things, but they are not our helper. They are not our solve. These are all resources that God can and will use to help us, but we must recognize that it's not them alone that are going to get us there. It's not them alone which are going to ultimately help us. Our help comes from the Lord who guides and directs our steps and whose ways and thoughts are higher than our own. That is who our help comes from. And in a world where everywhere you look there is trouble, there is terror, there is hurt, there is pain and there is suffering, There is only one place that we can turn to, to find light and to find help. And it is when we look to him. Paul's third and final for today at least, pearl of wisdom, is not so much just a pearl, but more like the whole oyster in itself. Because it's big and it's obvious and he just puts it right there for your taking. Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. When it comes to dealing with our its or our somethings, Paul suggests taking action now because your God is ready. Then he suggests turning our focus to the Lord for he is where our help comes from. And then he brings this qualifier, the reason why his first two suggestions are just so good. Now, turn to God because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. Let me say that again. Now, turn to God because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think. When it comes to its and somethings, when it comes to your big problems and frustrations and issues, don't choose the practical human route. Choose the faith route. Because the one that you're putting your faith in 
is the one for whom nothing, and I really mean nothing, is impossible. We come to God all the time with human-sized requests, like me coming to him with step one of my 15-point plan. We try to break our things down into bite-sized pieces because that's what we can handle. And so we project that onto God and believe that that's all he can handle too. Or we hold stuff back from him saying, oh, he's probably got much bigger issues to deal with right now. I mean, look at the state of the US. I shouldn't trouble him with all that I've got. Or we tell ourselves that what we need or what we're asking for is just too much. It's too unreasonable to expect that. Or we don't deserve that. And so we ask for half or just a quarter, maybe even only an eighth. And as we do this, as we do any of these things, our faith takes a hit. As we once again ignore the tattoo that says, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. God is ready. He already sees it, knows it all, has it all in hand, and he is able. So don't shy away. Don't be backwards and coming forwards with God. When an it comes up, when a something comes up, waste no time. Turn to God now. Turn to him and tell him what you need. Or tell him, I don't know what I need, but I know that I need you. And remember that nothing is too big. He can do more than what we could ask. And nothing is too small. He can do more than what we can even think. He can do exceedingly abundantly more than what we could even ask or think. And while asking doesn't guarantee that a silver platter will appear with exactly what we've requested, asking does mean that our faith will grow as we trust in God's ability and in his sovereignty. We put our faith in the one who is able, not the one who just has a few skills or a number of qualifications. We put our one, our faith in the one who is able, full stop. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that big it that I asked you about at the start, your big something, what does it have to say to that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth that you have spoken. We thank you that you are able, that nothing is too big or too small for us to come to you with. Lord, you are kind and compassionate and you care about what we care about. Lord God, I pray for each and every it or something in this room that people are holding on to. 
I pray that they would be bold and bring that before you, Lord, and watch it shrink away in the knowledge of your greatness and your ability. Lord, I pray that you would start sowing seeds of restoration and of solution and of bringing things, big things that have always been there to a close. Lord, would we put our faith in you? Would we come to you asking that we would see all that you are able to do? Thank you, God, that you care for us so deeply. Thank you that you are able and that you want to share that with us. In Jesus' name.